0: This episode of New Politics was released on the 21st of October 2023 and produced on the land of the Wanggul and Wajuk people.
1: Welcome to New Politics. In this episode, the wrap up of the Voice to Parliament referendum. Is there still a future for reconciliation in Australia? And the media finally starts talking about the problem of disinformation, but will it do anything about it? I'm Eddie Djokovic, editor of New Politics. I'm David Lewis, the ghost who walks. And if you'd like to support New Politics, you can support us through a Patreon subscription, but... Whether it's a subscription or whether you just want to listen in, read our material online or buy a t-shirt or buy a book, it's all available at newpolitics.com.au and all of this is a good way to support independent journalism. the voice of parliament referendum has been defeated and 39% voted yes and 61% voted no and It was rejected in all of the states, so the double majority needed to secure a referendum was nowhere near being achieved. And this is what the opinion polls had been saying for several months, with the no vote overtaking the yes vote from mid-July onwards, and the result is a great disappointment for the Indigenous community and for all of those people who supported the referendum. Here's the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, announcing the result on Saturday night.
2: Our nation's road to reconciliation has often been hard-going. The climb steep, the ground uncertain, the headwinds powerful, the way forward difficult to navigate. But through the decades there have been moments of hard-won progress as well. That's why I say tonight is not the end of the road and it is certainly not the end of our efforts to bring people together. The issues we sought to address have not gone away. And neither have the people of good will and good heart who want to address them. And address them we will. With hope in our heart, with faith in each other, with kindness towards each other. Walking together in a spirit of unity and healing. Walking together for a better future for the first Australians. Whose generosity of spirit and resilience intensifies the privilege that all Australians have of sharing this continent with the oldest continuous culture on earth. The historic fact that Australia's story is 65,000 years old remains a source of national pride and remains a fact. From tomorrow, we will continue to write the next chapter in that great Australian story and we will write it together. And reconciliation
1: must be a part of that chapter. And here's the Indigenous Affairs Minister, Linda Burney.
3: For many, today is a day of sadness. This result is not what we hoped for. The Australian people have had their say and a clear majority have voted against the proposed change to the Constitution. We will carry on and we will move forward and we will thrive. This is not the end of reconciliation. And in the months ahead, I will have more to say about our government's renewed commitment to closing the gap. Because we all agree we need better outcomes for First Nations people. We need to keep listening to Indigenous Australians about what works and what can make practical difference for the next generation. Because we all want what's best for our children. We all want our children and grandchildren to have a better future.
1: So it is a disappointing result. It also means that Australia remains as the only colonised country that doesn't refer to First Nations people in its constitution. And the defeat of this referendum is going to be analysed for some time to come. Was it because of inherent racism? Was it because of the Liberal National Party's deciding not to support the referendum. Was it the lies and disinformation from the no side, which was readily accepted and promoted by many parts of the media? Was it because of the poor campaigning, distrust of government? It's probably a combination of all of these factors. But the upshot is that it was a lost opportunity for at least some progress on reconciliation. But I think it also says a lot about where we are as a country on these issues. And that is that we've still got a long way to go. It was a very disappointing result for so many
4: reasons. One, that the press, having been ignored in the last 10 or 12 elections, was able to get a message of disinformation through finally. And the reason it was able to do that is because it tapped into that ugly racism of Australia, which is usually pretty passive, but people were choosing not to listen to the fact that 80% of the Indigenous population thought the voice was the way forward. I had people try and say that votes like the yes vote in some booths in the seat of parks, which is Western New South Wales, didn't reflect Indigenous will even though, and we don't know who cast each individual vote, but the yes vote matched precisely the Indigenous population of the town. It shows that our press is incompetent, corrupt, and venal, the ABC board has to resign. It's that simple. News Corp and Channel 7 should lose their broadcast licenses. It's that simple. If the no case had a case and the referendum was lost, you'd think, okay, that's fine. But the no case had no case. Now, of course, we accept the results of the referendum because we have to accept the ugly truth of Australia, that it is a racist backwater, that it is a country filled with people who will not concede anything to the less fortunate, even a tiny little thing. And I saw some stupid justifications. I saw one justification that, oh, I can't trust Labor to handle the voice properly. It's not about Labor. It's not about your views on Labor. It's about trying to improve the position of Indigenous people in this country. I saw, uh they wouldn't lie about the figures being spent on Aboriginal affairs. They did. They absolutely did lie about that and those figures were easily available. It showed that people will only look away and look at other sources When it suits them, if you're being fed the stories you want to hear, your confirmation bias will kick in and you will believe the Daily Telegraph, the Herald Sun, a current affair, shows that have a very low level of credibility on this type of of things. Andrew Bolt starts to make sense to people who would never read Andrew Bolt. And this is a big problem in the country. And the solution is to absolutely clean out senior management right down to the senior editors if you're a senior editor and you are subscribing to us, cancel your subscription. I don't want your filthy money. Laura Tingle came out and said, oh, we, the ABC in the hope of getting balance failed. Well, Laura, you're on the board of the
1: ABC. What did you do about it? So when I say sack the board, I mean the whole board, the lot. So there were definitely problems with the media reporting here, but I think overall it just reinforces that idea that constitutional change is so difficult in this country and it shouldn't be, but it is and the government should use constitutional change as a last resort and should bypass the constitution and work out other ways to achieve a political or a particular agenda and sure this is a change that was asked by indigenous people it was requested through the uluru statement from the heart but perhaps there should have been a plan b as well as soon as the coalition dropped their support for it history tells us that a referendum without bipartisan support isn't going to get up. And we discussed this several weeks ago, probably didn't matter what was offered up, the coalition would have opposed it and would have worked out a way of undermining it. And there's always votes in them for kicking into the Indigenous community. And that's what they'll continue to do. And we've complained about the campaign that was run by the Yes side and by Anthony Albanese as well. But it might have been a case where it didn't really matter what was put forward. There's enough negative forces in this country to easily magnify and manipulate an issue. So it seems like it's a much bigger issue than it actually is. And I think that was certainly the case with the voice of parliament.
4: Samaras, who analyzes polls, pointed out, and I think if you can chase his work down, I'd do so. It was really good. And he predicted a a no vote. He also showed us that the polls were correct. We all thought the polls were wrong, but the polls were correct. So we've got to acknowledge that. But he also said that the Yes campaign worked in the... University Educated Urban Centres but didn't speak to people outside of the urban centers. And I think that's something to be learned. I mean, I don't think there's going to be another referendum even in our lifetime. So those of you who are desperate for a republic, if you voted no, you've just stopped the republic. Those of you who are desperate for uh, a reform to the two-chamber system, you won't get it now. Not in your lifetime. I don't think there'll be a referendum for a very long time. And these consequences have to be thought through. Some of us did mention this, but we were told, no, 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 but just wait. The other thing it changed actually, and this is a side note that we'll get back to, is that Peter Dutton will never be Prime Minister. Even though the referendum came down on, quote, his side, the level of contempt
1: he's held in by the
4: electorate means that he'll never be Prime Minister at this point.
1: So even in Victory, the No Campaigns seemed to be quite stingy about all of this, and they were celebrating in Queensland. Gina Reinhart was there, and she hid in the bathroom of that function so the media wouldn't see her, and they were all popping the corks from the champagne bottles as well. And Indigenous leaders said that they wanted to hold a week of silence and lower the Indigenous flag to half-mast at public buildings to commiserate and reflect on this loss. And Conservative forces and the media were out there criticising them for this, suggesting that this is a huge affront to the democratic process and a huge affront to democracy. And this is a big loss for many people in the Indigenous community and for the many people who voted yes and campaigned for the yes vote. And they're not even allowed to feel bad about it or get upset. You know, that's ridiculous. So, it seems like it's not enough to defeat your opponent. It's all about annihilating them as well. And you lost and you're not even allowed to feel bad about it. And it's just such a heartless response all round. And like the Indigenous author, Melissa Lukashenko said, white Australia just doesn't want to give black blackfellas anything, even when it's nothing. And all of those peripheral issues that were headlined by the no campaigners, Peter Dutton said that the referendum is rubbish, so he'd hold a second referendum to offer recognition only. He's walked away from that, saying that people are sick of referendums, and pretty soon he'll probably d- deny that he actually ever said it. Warren Mundine also said that a no vote was a better way to get to a treaty, and he's walked away from that as well. He also said that Australia Day should be changed. He's also walked away from that. And there was that issue of the poll that suggested that 80% of Indigenous people supported the voice to Parliament, and that was rubbished all throughout the campaign by Jacinta Price. Turned out to be true. The polling booths in remote areas indicated a yes vote of around 75%. And sure, it's not 80%, but it's pretty close. And Jacinta Price also went into Donald Trump mode to say that the Australian Electoral Commission had rigged the vote and we need to set up cameras to see what they were getting up to there. And then she started talking about a family funeral, which is what she always does when she gets a difficult question from the media. And I think all of this just highlights how disingenuous the no campaign was. If you're so confident in your cause, well, you don't need to tell lies about it. You don't need to say, if you don't know, vote no. And we'll never know what sort of difference it would have made, but at least it would have been a more honest campaign.
4: Yeah, if, if they had valid cases and not the worst campaign slogan ever if you don't know vote no how can they ever be trusted on anything again the liberal party oh if you don't know oh well, i don't know so i'm not going to vote for you you know it, it was a stupid and i am sick of the incredibly poor campaigning in australia we haven't had a decent campaign since probably 1972 uh maybe hawk in 83 but really they're just embarrassing awful and terrible and this is on all sides And yeah, if you don't know, Vote No is probably the worst of them, which is saying something. Jacinta Price also yeah, claimed that, as you said, that the votes in indigenous communities were rigged. Why you would go to the trouble of rigging a small amount of votes when they knew they were going to win or they knew they were probably going to win. And I'm pretty sure it was just that they were ready to claim fake election and interference and do the whole Trump thing. And she's not agile enough to not change the argument. So she just adapted it a little bit. And of course it is deeply distressing for Indigenous people. We're back
1: to the 1950s. And I guess the message is, for governments, don't take any issue of substance to a a referendum unless you've got bipartisan support for it. It also helps if the government is dealing with an opposition that will put the national interest first. But we can see in Peter Dutton and in David Littleproud that... They wanted to put their political interests first, the national interests last, and then put the interests of the Indigenous people even further behind that. And one other issue that was raised with me at the polling booths on the weekend was that the voice of parliament was this incremental process just this incremental nature of of a change and it really was a minor change to the constitution a voice of parliament that makes recommendations to government which the government could ignore you know perhaps a lot of people might have considered this and thought well what's the point of that what happens if the advice from the voice of parliament is ignored by the government of the day what happens next and I guess we'll never know because it's not going to happen. Anthony Albanese has ruled out legislating a voice to Parliament. Maybe a lot more could have been put out there, a far more radical proposal, the treaty, truth-telling process, perhaps reserve seats in Parliament, and there's quite a lot of research that's been put into reserve seats in Parliament. There's a lot of pros and cons there, and I don't think if anything of this was put up there, if there was a far more radical proposal, I don't think any of it would have actually got up, but at least it would have put these issues out into the public and there's no clear answers for what happens now it's just the first week after the referendum was lost but i still think that it's a big opportunity that was lost for australia we've been humiliated on the world stage
4: every major world paper basically shook their head and said how could this happen it's going to affect things like tourism it doesn't bother Gina Reinhart till they realise, oh hold on, these Australians are a bit racist. If you're from a country with a large number of people of colour, why would you deal with them when you can go to other countries that are less racist and who you could probably trust more? It's going to have an effect on the economy. Maybe it's only a short-term effect, but all these people thinking they were voting in the interest of Australia, and I've seen too a lot of people now saying, oh, maybe we should have voted yes, didn't quite realise just what the facts were to the point where I have seen a couple of polls saying that if the referenda was to be held again, it would be a 55 to 45 to yes. It's not going to be held again. So for those of you hoping, because ultimately I think it'd be the same result. But it's to the point where Australia has to sit down and have a really hard look at itself and not be happy with what it sees and try and change it.
0: You're listening to New Politics. You can subscribe to us on Apple or Google Podcasts, listen through Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud and Amazon Music, or you can find us at newpolitics.com.au, and you can now support New Politics through Substack and Patreon.
5: Whenever I'm down, I call on you my friend, a helping hand you land in my time of need. Whenever I'm
1: The voice of parliament is now officially all over, but as we've said in the past, whether the referendum was won or lost, the works would still have to continue after this referendum, but the no vote has made this process a lot harder and there is the opinion within the Indigenous community that reconciliation is now dead. Here's Marsha Langton discussing this.
5: This is a very sad moment in the country's history. Australians had an opportunity to recognise us in the constitution and do so by allowing for an advisory body to parliament and the government to enable us to more quickly overcome the disadvantages. With a majority of Australians voting no to that uh, proposition, I think it will be at least two generations before Australians are capable of putting their colonial hatreds behind them and acknowledging that we exist. Mm It's very clear that reconciliation is dead. A majority of Australians have said no to an invitation from Indigenous Australia with a minimal proposition to give us a a bare say in matters that affect our lives, advice that doesn't need to be taken by the parliament and a proposition that the vast majority of retired High Court judges Mm. and constitutional experts affirmed as being constitutionally safe, sound, and moreover, elegant and practical. And um, I think the no campaigners have a lot to answer for in poisoning Australia against this proposition and against uh, Indigenous Australia. But let's see how they wheel themselves out in the future, because this has been a cynical political exercise by the coalition in opposition, to uh, secure their base vote by, you know, wheeling out the race card, just as Pauline Hansen did in the early 90s, and uh, they'll be now pressing hard for policies that cause us harm. So I don't think we should you know suffer from any delusions about reconciliation. Reconciliation has been since John Howard rejected the reconciliation report, kicked down the road it's been an emollient for what is basically political contempt for us
1: and here's the indigenous leader lloyd walker
2: you, you have to try to put stuff through and i think prime minister albanese did try that and where where it failed it got people in the conversation um you know you, we can say that it got outvoted, but there was you know, 40% of the people that wanted that, so that years and years ago um, we wouldn't have that percentage for sure. It's going to be difficult now with um, reconciliation. It's going to be difficult times. I'll be interested to see what um, our Indigenous senators have in mind. Their no campaign um, as for the future.
1: Now, the problem has always been that reconciliation has to be on the terms of the non-Indigenous community in Australia, of white people, of governments, and it's on a take it or leave it basis. And if Indigenous people want something different, well, too bad, you know, you're not going to get anything else. And for the first time, Indigenous people were asked, well, what do you want? And this is what they asked for, and it was firmly rejected by the Australian electorate, and... That's a real slap in the face and it's like eight slaps in the face from the nation, all of the states and the Northern Territory with the ACT, the only jurisdiction in Australia that voted in favour for the Voice of Parliament referendum and there will be a new generation of Indigenous leaders that will lead the pathway forward Then they're probably going to be saying well we asked for nothing and we were given nothing so we just have to aim a lot higher.
4: Yeah. It must be so difficult. I think I more agree with Lloyd Walker saying that it's going to be difficult but not impossible. I do understand Marsha Langton's despair, that she thinks it's dead. And I'm sure that it's an opinion held widely throughout the community. I notice too that the black sovereignty movement has gone very quiet they were opposed to the voice because they said it didn't go far enough, that treaty was the place to start. I think they've realised in the cold light of day that treaty is now further back, that the voice was a step, maybe an inadequate step sure, but it was a step in the right direction. There's no way the Australian public would vote for something as supposedly big as a treaty no matter what the terms and conditions were, if they're not going to vote for that. So uh, where Where the Indigenous community goes, where the, from here, I I wish I could say, partly it's not for me to say, I don't think, I think the last thing Indigenous community needs is another white gubber telling them what to do, even if the intentions are good. But it'll be interesting to see how the next five years pan out.
1: Or maybe a federal treaty is not the way to go anyway. The treaty process has already commenced in Victoria and in Queensland and in Western Australia, with South Australia commencing soon. The government in South Australia deferred their process until after the referendum, and the ACT and Northern Territory will commence their processes soon as well. And South Australia is also setting up their own voice to parliament, and none of these needed a referendum. The governments have just gone ahead and started the process. The Queensland Liberal National Party they have dropped their support for the treaty process uh, since the weekend results so it's hard to know what will happen there but it's probably best to start the treaty processes there and you know same as you David it's not actually up to me to say but it's just an opinion but it's probably best for the treaty process to start at the state and territory level and it was the colony of New South Wales that was first established in 1788 and that's when the annexation and land theft first occurred in the Australian Constitution. And I was actually a little bit surprised that this one didn't come up more often during the Voice of Parliament debate, because there seems like there were quite a lot of new constitutional experts out there. But there is a provision for the acquisition of property by the Commonwealth on just terms, and that's Section 51. And the only problem here is that when Australia was federated in 1901, the land that it existed on had already been stolen land for 113 years. So It is New South Wales that has to negotiate a treaty on the basis of what it did back in 1788. And I guess this is a legal quagmire, but it just does have to be done at some point, whether it's separate treaties within each state and territory and with an overall national treaty that coordinates them all, I'm not really sure. But the treaty needs to be the soul of the nation. And people might not want to talk about it, but it is happening now, and it's an issue that's not going to go away. Yeah, I was disappointed but not surprised that Chris Minns
4: walked away from treaty in New South Wales. But the other states having it, I think, will just force New South Wales into. And, of course, what we haven't considered yet is the High Court challenges, saying that the 1960s referendum took Indigenous affairs out of the hands of the states and that any treaty negotiated by a state will be invalid. I don't think that legal argument will hold up, but it's just going to be more mischief from the usual thieves and, and crooks and spivs and con artists who try this type of disruptive and deceptive dissembling behavior every time anything comes up. I think the press are either going to rage against it some of them may well have learnt their lesson about what balance actually is. And balance isn't saying lies that just are the opposite of the truth.
1: And a few of our audience members have been asking us about the truth-telling process and what it actually means. And truth-telling is also an issue that came from the Uluru Statement and would be set up under a Makarata Commission, which was also look at a national treaty or treaties. And, and the process is essentially telling the truth about what's happened in Australia's history since colonisation and recognising it as well. And it's also a healing process to resolve the divisions of the past. And this is already commence in some sense it's the historical documents it's all the books that have been written about frontier wars the recording of stories place names being explained and a lot of this needs to be made official through a truth-telling commission and I think people need to understand how places like Slaughterhouse Creek got its name and they also need to know how Murdering Point in Queensland got its name as well there's all those memorials at Mile Creek that need to be explored as well you know much of the history since colonization in 1788 has been terrible despite what Jacinda Price might have said, but it's a rich history and there's so much there. And a lot of people might not want to hear about this history because it's too much for them to bear, or they might think that it will lead to their backyards being stolen if they accept this history. But this is what the history is, and this is what truth-telling is all about, letting people tell their stories about the past, being heard, acknowledging that something wrong has been done, and trying to make things right again in the future. And one person at the polling booth on the weekend, when I explained to them what truth-telling could be he said oh, "Ah, no that just sounds like a whinge fest and it's all in the past anyway and no prizes for guessing which way they were probably going to vote but you wouldn't say to someone who's had their whole family murdered or their entire community taken away from them "Ah, oh, stop you whinging and just get over it it's all in the past <laughs> you probably want to help them out and talk to them about it and help to make things better and that's what a normal person would do anyway so I think that a truth-telling commission is an important process and the good thing is you don't need a referendum to get it underway. Yeah,
4: I, I think if the federal Labour government is really serious, is really serious about reconciliation, they will work very quickly to this type of proposal. I mean, you might need a couple of weeks off to regroup, to re-energise, to rethink, to grieve the loss. But I wouldn't leave that too long because you've got to strike while the iron's hot. You've got to use the regret people are feeling to your advantage. You've got to grab the moral high ground. And you've got to show, and this is the most important, but you've got to show the Indigenous community that it wasn't just a political thing to try and gain traction. It was a thing that you genuinely meant, that reconciliation is important. And maybe they could use their numbers now to actually get a treaty up, for example. It might seem to justify Warren Mundine, but he's finished anyway. Jacinda Price will stop being the, the first female Indigenous Prime Minister of Australia, having been used, they're now disposed of. I don't know. I, and maybe treaty's is not the best first, But certainly I think the federal government has to sit down and work out how do we start to heal the division? How do we explain to the racist population? And I know a lot of people, or I know at least some people, voted no because, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around this, because people who were voted no were called racist. They were voting no to prove that no voters weren't racist. I don't quite understand how that's at all logical. (laughs) And certainly not all no voters were racist. I don't think that's a very helpful But I don't think you prove it by voting no just because you're not racist.
1: (laughs) If someone can explain that to me, I'd be more than happy to hear it. Maybe for a lot of these issues in the future, governments just have to get on with these projects with lower fanfare. The, The voice of Parliament had a target on its back virtually from the night of the election in May 2022 the treaty process in victoria is a well established process and it's not really talked about that much in victoria but it's still going ahead and maybe governments just need to show some courage and just get on with it and maybe use those indigenous people that are already in parliament as well and one of the criticisms from the no campaign about the voice of parliament was oh hang on there's already 11 indigenous politicians in parliament why do you need a voice and Well, you can use these arguments against these people. okay? well, you say that there's 11 Indigenous politicians in Parliament. Well, now we're going to set up an Indigenous working group with the resources, the funding and the support. And it's going to be chaired by Linda Burney, the Minister for Indigenous Affairs. And this will be like an additional Senate committee which reports back to the Parliament. So the voice to Parliament defeat... I think it's really disappointing, but there have to be positives that have to be worked on from here. There can be creative ways or different ways to achieve the same agenda. And Indigenous people do have a target on their backs, you know, just like a lot of immigrants do in this country as well. There's always going to be resistance to change within the electorate that's wanted by the Indigenous community. And they're never going to be considered even good enough by most of the electorate. So lay low, get the changes happening in different ways where things fly under the radar, but they do get done. i do realize that it's far more difficult if you're trying to lay low and trying to lobby governments at the same time but use the voices that are already in parliament and make the changes that need to be made in that way yeah i i think you know like i'm not suggesting that that's the only way or the right way, but you can use these arguments that were used against the voice of parliament you can use those to your advantage yeah exactly i think there is a way through this
4: and it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and it's going to take a lot of white people facing up to their own blind spots and that includes yes voters too people who voted yes but didn't quite realize what it was they were voting yes to there were more no voters in that but I think we have to really start to think about what it means to be Australian and maybe we live in a foul backwater bogan state that doesn't care about anyone but themselves and Should be just folded back into the British Commonwealth and shut up about it. Put the national anthem back to God Save the King. Extend the size of the British flag and anyone who doesn't like it can leave. Well, I'm
1: really hoping that we don't get to that stage.
4: (laughs) No, me either. I I don't know where I'd go to coming from all of the British Isles (laughs) and some of Europe. And yeah, again, we can talk about the failures of the campaign. Letting it be too long between announcing the referendum and setting the date, I think, was a massive uh, mistake. And thought that at the time because it just gave the lies a chance to get up. Then they didn't have enough time to counteract them. I think that point caused Samaras, made that it, there was only one message – which only resonated with one group of Australians. Having a stupid rhyme, I don't think, was harmful to the No campaign. Even if you thought it was dumb, it still stuck in the brain. And the Yes campaign never really countered that. And not using Indigenous people enough. The No campaign only really used two. Mundine, who is loathe in the ab- Aboriginal community, and Jacinda Price, who I'm told, has been essentially shunned from her local community. But they should have had, instead of privileged white people standing up and saying they should have had Indigenous people standing up and saying this is why it's important. Again, going through the failures now is a bit late, though we did go through a lot of them during the campaign. And I don't think there'll be another referendum for 50 years, to be quite honest. Maybe 20 if if you get a brave politician. And if it is, it'll be most likely a change to the title of changing Your Excellency to Your Honour or something like that. <laughs> but it's worth looking at what it is that went wrong. And in fact, from the No campaign, they didn't win one of the major seats that they lost. All of the Teal seats voted yes. Whereas Labour seats fell left, right and centre. And I think that's something... That at a broader context you've got to look at. We said last election there are no seats you can take for granted and this referendum has proven that. Unless you're an independent Teal person in Sydney or Melbourne then perhaps you can relax a little bit although they all work extremely hard.
0: This is New Politics one of the top 10 Australian politics and news commentary audio programs. You can listen to us on Apple or Google Podcasts Spotify YouTube Amazon Music, and you can find us at newpolitics.com.au, and you can contribute and support New Politics on Substack and Patreon.
1: And the best thing about the completion of the referendum is that we won't hear from Warren Mundine or Jacinta Price for a while, and the leader of the opposition, Peter Dutton, well, he's lost his platform a little bit as well, so he won't have anything to talk about for a short period of time, but I'm sure that he'll start up his fire hydrant of hate and misinformation again. And there's no surprises here, but as soon as the polls closed... That's when the mainstream media started questioning all of the lies, misinformation and disinformation from the No campaign. Here's some of the analysis from the ABC's Insiders program, including from David Crow, Isabella Higgins and John Paul Janke. There were lies and there, were, there was misinformation through the campaign. That's true. But yeah. there was also a big question about the model and people were not sure about that model. There was also division among
5: Indigenous leaders. Just on that division, I mean, it's, it's, it's true that the, certainly having Jacinta Price and Warren Mundine fronting the No campaign, it did confuse a lot of non-Indigenous Australians, I suppose, Isabella.
2: I think she was an incredibly potent campaigner. I think the fact that she was a, a relatively young Indigenous woman out there saying things that we often hear from a very different demographic, saying things like, colonisation hasn't negatively impacted Aboriginal people. I mean, that is patently untrue. It's not true, but because she's saying it, people question it.
0: People wanted to believe yeah, it was true. Yeah.
1: So she had this yeah. powerful message yeah. that tapped into something they wanted to hear. But I, I also think that one of her other messages last night, Australia is not a racist country, people that resonates as well. Of course it's sure.
5: Yeah. The misinformation, JP, David mentions it. It was there. It was um, huge. Is it fair to blame every this result on the misinformation? What What role did it play?
0: I think we found early on that people's perception and understanding of our Constitution is just not there. The the difference between constitutional change and legislative change was not there, which is understandable. Um, And then to bring in major change about First Nations people, when the majority of people have not met Aboriginal people, they see Aboriginal people on the television, in the media, they get their perceptions from the media. So, to put those two together, it, it creates the perfect storm, I think, for misinformation. And misinformation played a big part in this. I think we can't estimate that. The feedback that we were getting from Western Sydney was that, you know, the fear of, I'm going to lose my house. If the voice gets up, I'm going to lose my house. It's giving them extra rights that I don't have. And that really played a part. And importantly, look, we've asked pe- people on the no side, you know, was it your job to call that out? If, and we even asked Barnaby Joyce last night on the program. You were campaigning. If someone came up to you and said, if, are they going to take my house? Do you say, no, look, that's not true. I want this to be argued on the facts. Hey, what did he so say to that? He just said, look, there's lots of lots of other talk, right? So they let the bushfire, we've got to admit, they let the bushfire burn away and create smoke to cloud the issue. They never went back and corrected it to have this respectful debate on the facts, on the details, which they were saying.
1: And I found all of this just a little bit weird. The big important issue is all over and it's been decided and now it's okay to talk about the misinformation and disinformation Mm. campaign within the media. And John Paul Janke is from SBS and NITV and those outlets have been consistently calling out the misinformation and the lies. But the ABC and Nine Media, definitely not. If anything, they've been promoting the misinformation from the No campaign by either publishing that information or just regurgitating that misinformation without providing a context news corporation well that's a factory of misinformation hate and bile so we couldn't really expect anything different from them and generally and i don't blame the media for the no campaign being successful it's not as though before all of this started australia was 100 percent Behind the voice of parliament, a treaty, truth-telling, and then asked if there was anything more that could be done. This all latched onto all of those prejudices and doubts about the Indigenous community. And it certainly wouldn't have helped, but you just do have to wonder, why do they do it? And just on this occasion, why couldn't they be professional journalists for once, call out the rubbish that was coming out of the mouth of Peter Dutton and from the No campaign, and do it well before the referendum, not when it was all over?
4: It would have checkmated the no campaign, or it might have brought out actual arguments that made sense to those of us who were sceptical. As someone who likes to think of himself as data-driven, there was absolutely no data in no. Everything that they said could be debunked, except for from the left, the idea that perhaps start a treaty was something I could sympathise with. I thought it was a tactical mistake, but I I could see the argument there. But the no campaigns with its wild figures being thrown out with It's lies about that it's a stealth land rights case, that it's United Nations mandate to denationalize Australia or whatever it was. And it was the lizard people who gave us decimal currency. the whole thing. And all of these arguments had prominence to a greater or lesser extent, that it was about elite indigenous people, that there was an office already set up with 150 people working in it in Canberra somewhere. No one could quite take you to that office. All of this a a good and decent press would have debunked straight away and it would have left the rubbish no campaign nowhere to go. And then if there was a good no campaign, we might have heard those. But I suspect if that there was a good, and by good, I mean a a fact data-driven argument that made sense as to why this proposal wasn't going to work, I suspect that would have been first and foremost. But had there been those arguments... They would have had to have relied on them and we might have got, still might have lost, but at least we'd have lost understandably and not embarrassingly and not humiliatingly to now where Australia is now seen as a nation approximately at the same level as South Africa in 1975.
1: And before you all snort, that's how we are seen. And that's the whole point of the media, to call out all of this rubbish. And with a few exceptions, the media coverage of the Voice of Parliament campaign was pretty poor. It was sensationalist. It just reported every piece of misinformation and lies from Warren Mundine, from Jacinta Price and from Peter Dutton. And Warren Mundine and Jacinta Price, as you mentioned before, they were so prominent within this campaign, it was almost like they were the campaign spokespeople, not just for the No campaign, but for the Yes campaign as well. They were pretty much everywhere. And... When you think of the No campaign, well, it's Mundine and Price, with a supporting trolling voice coming in from Peter Dutton. And when you think of the Yes campaign, it... Just doesn't seem to be focused within the media. It was coming from so many different people Noel Pearson, Marsha Langton, Linda Burney, Thomas Mayo. And this isn't a criticism because they all had something to say, but the No campaign in the media was essentially limited to those two people, Warren Mundine and Jacinda Price. And they said some pretty outrageous things. They told a lot of lies, but that's what the media went for. And I'm not saying that the Yes campaign didn't get any coverage at all. They did received quite a lot of coverage within the media. But the media tended to gravitate towards the sensational things, that the colonisation was a good thing for Indigenous people, or that Indigenous people have never actually had it so good. You know, these are the outrageous things, but this is where the news headlines and the clickbait is. So you're not going to get that from a good news story. So that's the pathway that the media goes towards, the outrageous things. And that's where I think the Yes campaign suffered.
4: Yeah. People
1: like Mundine will always
4: get the ear of a corrupt media who want that result. Honestly, Mundine wouldn't in a normal, wouldn't get any airplay at all. Neither would just enterprise. They'd be seen as the sellouts that they are and other no-campaigners, more reasonable ones. Again, this notion that people love conflict and we've got to be outrageous, otherwise people won't watch and see how well that's worked for something like Q&A where the ratings are through the floor, no one's watching it because they get in outrageous instead of having panels that can discuss an idea. They have half a panel that can discuss an idea being shuttered down by idiots who should be let nowhere near a television camera again our press requires vital and immediate reform and sack a lot of them sack everyone in the mainstream press let them reapply for their jobs let them argue why they should have a job being in the job for 20 years is not enough having a large readership is not enough anymore it is about who can do the best journalism
1: Well, it was interesting to see Laura Tingle's criticisms of the ABC's coverage, where they were trying to achieve balanced perspectives rather than focus on good reporting. And she's also a member of the ABC board, as you referred to before. So it will be interesting to see how well her comments are taken by the ABC. And why would they go through this process? Like, balance isn't achieved by giving equal time or equal platforms to two completely different arguments. You know, why give equal time to an expert and a non-expert idiot who just lies through their teeth? And how does something like this inform the public? Well, it just it doesn't. It just confuses the audience. Why give equal time to unbalanced perspectives? And ABC journalists were given timesheets during the campaign to record the balance of their guests or of the articles that they were writing and I don't know who they're doing this for this is the sort of rubbish that the coalition used to demand of the ABC but they're no longer in government it's like the banality of bureaucracy you know here's the expert oh sorry you've spoken for five minutes your time is up now we go over to our idiot of choice your five minute starts now (laughs) you know that's No way to run a media organisation, and sure, they're accountable to the public, but they're accountable to the public, not to the coalition, and the government has appointed two new ABC board members, Nicolette Morey, she's the head of Avani Solutions, but she's got no experience in broadcasting, and the other person is Louise McElvogue. her only broadcasting experience was between 2006 and 2008, and... That was in the failed BBC seesaw streaming service, and that was closed down in 2011. So, not sure why these two appointments were made. The Minister, Michelle Rowland, said that it was a merit based appointment process, and that's usually a case where three candidates are offered for each vacancy, and then the Minister makes a choice. And it, also, get, does get down to who's nominated themselves and we'll never know who those other people are but these seem like really odd choices and it's hard to see how the changes that need to be made at the abc will ever be made
4: the board needs to be cleared out completely all board members need to be given their walking orders right this second it's just not good enough and i think that we have no choice But to remove the board of the ABC altogether, even with the two new ones, they clearly are problematic appointments. Michelle Rowland's been really disappointing as communication minister, too. If Labour was serious, they would stand up to the mainstream media rather than kowtow to them. And of course, the, the mainstream media duchesses, and it seems like a you know they'll they give you a couple of puff pieces. And then two weeks later, you're trying to explain why you've never embezzled money. And can you tell me, sir, have you ever thrown kittens under running buses? It's time to to get a good press. And Australia could be a world leader in this in so much, but we would rather be pathetic nothings and hope that the weather
1: keeps going well. Well, that's changing too. And the voice of parliament has taken up a lot of space in the media and politics over the past couple of months, but all of the issues arising from this will fall away over the next week. The speed of politics just ensures that there's always the next issue to move on to. And I think that's going to be a good thing. I don't think anyone's going to talk about Jacinta Price becoming the Prime Minister anymore. Warren Mundine hasn't got the platform. Peter Dutton will continue saying no to everything and running with his negative campaign. But if Peter Dutton was hoping to get a boost from the referendum campaign, I think he'll be sorely disappointed. The Latest Morgan poll has shown a drop in support for both the coalition and for Peter Dutton. And also in that referendum, all the teal independent seats. As you mentioned, David, these are seats that used to be held by the Liberal Party. They all voted yes and ignored the negativity coming from the no campaign. So I think that confirms that the teal independent seats will be difficult for... The Liberal Party to get back at the next election. But all of these factors is not going to stop the negativity. Dutton thinks that he's on a winner here. He's suggested that he'll call for a new intervention program in the Northern Territory. He's also calling for a Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse in remote communities, even though no one else is calling for one except for Jacinda Price. He's calling for the end of Indigenous-specific education programs. And Jacinda Price has said that now that the referendum campaign, is all over. She's now going to campaign against transgender people. So we can say that the entire campaign by the coalition on the voice of parliament was just an extension of those boring cultural wars that seem to have now been going on longer f- than the hundred years war but it gets the attention but it's in no one's interest and i don't even think that it's in the interest of the liberal party anymore it just wastes everyone's time and and then you think well what can the government do about this there's lots of things that they can do stop giving dutton air time in parliament question time don't respect him because he doesn't respect you punish him Psychological warfare background against him. These are all the tactics being used against the government. So it's time to start fighting back. And we don't see much of Jim Chalmers. We don't see much of Jason Clare. That might change now that the Voice of Parliament referendum is over. But there's a whole lot of other ministers that could be used from within the Labor government to promote the agenda of the government. And Anthony Albanese did say that he wanted to improve parliament and raise the standards of political debate in this country. But That's not happening. Peter Dutton and the coalition are just taking full advantage of this and they're not going to change. And it's time to put him back in his box and keep him there. That's the power of government. It's just time to fight back.
4: Yeah, Dutton would fold like a a folding chair in a breeze if anyone stood up to him. He's done it before. He's petulant. He's weak. He's a sook. And why they don't use these to their advantage, I, I don't know.
1: that's it for this episode of new politics thanks for listening in And if you'd like to support our style of journalism and commentary please make a donation at our website at newpolitics.com.au we don't beg plead beseech or gaslight you about journalism coming to an end we just keep it very simple if you like what we do please send some support our way it keeps our commitment to independent journalism ticking along i'm eddie Djokovic. thanks for listening in and it's goodbye to our listeners I'm David Lewis. We'll see you next time.